Welcome to Shabbat Replay, a highlight of Mishkan services. This episode was taken from the Friday night service on February 18th, when we were joined by Jared Jackson, the founder and executive director of Jews in All Hues. Jared is an internationally renowned Jewish diversity leader, and for over a decade he has led Jews in All Hues in its mission to support Jews of color. We present an abbreviated form of his discussion with Rabbi Lizzie. Welcome back. I guess I'll sit down now. I don't need to. I don't need to strum underneath, strum artfully underneath our conversation. Yeah, that would be so guitarist of you. It totally would be super guitarist of me. So, Jared, you and I met in, as you said, two thousand nine, mm-hmm. which um, was my last year of being a counselor at Brandeis Burdine Collegiate Institute. But let's just go back for a second for people who don't know who you are. Maybe they're, they just tuned into Shabbat. They didn't see the ad. They didn't see your post or they didn't see it. You know, maybe like they're, who is this person I'm talking to? Okay. Jared Jackson is the founder and executive director of Jews in All Hues, which is an education and advocacy organization that supports Jews of color and multi-heritage Jews. And the organization's goal is to build a future for the Jewish people where intersectional diversity and dignity are normative. When I read over your mission statement, I thought it's very depressing that there needs to be an organization to do that. <laughs> I agree with you. You know, <laughs> that diversity and dignity need to be an aspiration um, and, and that there needs to be an organization and not just one, but many now dedicated to this purpose. But it's important that there are. And I have to say, so when I met you, low these many years ago, um, over a decade now, you had already started. Jews in all hues. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Yeah. And so, this, I mean, for, for a little bit of reference, I guess, like the BCI is a birthright like experience in that it is a free experience for young adults, not in Israel, in Southern California. Right. Right. For the same age group of people. And the idea is like building a stronger sense of Jewish identity, knowledge, community. Um, as I said before, Rabbi Lauren, who later became a rabbi, got turned on at BCI. Um, and so that's that's where you and I met as well. And I think because I met you there um, and I understood that you had this organization, I did not realize what a nascent field, you know, organizations doing Judaism and diversity, you know, the, the words Jews of color, I, I don't think had entered my consciousness yet, but I did not realize how nascent the field was and how much the field has grown. Yeah, so Jews and Alec Hughes, obviously, you know, I wasn't born into that, uh, but I kind of was. <laughs> so um, I have an Ashkenazi mom who is also a descendant of the Baal Shem Tov. Yeah, my father is uh, African-American and grew up, um, I think, Catholic and Baptist. Uh, he was born in Philadelphia. My mom was born in Long Island. They, they met in Brooklyn. Well, Coney Island, to be specific. So, yeah, I have a bunch of siblings. I'm the middle of five. My sister's names are Sarah, Rachel, Rebecca, and Shayna. Um, 
my mom always threw a curveball at the end. Yeah, I grew up in New Jersey. I was born in Philly, but I grew up in New Jersey, and it was a long, arduous road to uh, getting involved in anything Jewish, honestly. Um, I had a, a big old gap from age, I want to say, seven until 21, uh, doing anything Jewishly, um, except for like coming home and watching Sanford and Son for Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> Uh, fasting and laughing. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that, but it happens. Fast forwarding through college and more college and more college. And um, I ended up leading birthright trips, going on my birthright trip, uh, first of all. But even before that, I was like leading Hillel. Even through that, it was just the noticing of the same racism that I had as a kid in you know, conservative synagogue and seeing that my nieces and nephews were facing similar struggles as, you know, my sisters were trying to get involved in Jewish community for the sake of the kids, you know, even, even though like we didn't necessarily have a lot of that as kids, but we had a very strong Jewish identities um, and still do. It led me to uh, an award trip to Israel, of course, a Jewish award trip always goes to Israel, right? Unless it's to like the Tenement Museum or something. And then it kind of steamrolled where like I thought of the idea of Jews and all Hughes. Um, then I got a job with Birthright Israel itself, which then offshoot Birthright Israel next and really wanted to make something happen. So just like I can't cook a small meal, <laughs> I actually can't. Uh, do small initiatives per se. So we did a conference uh, at first, and then another conference, then another conference, then another conference, then pause. Um, and those conferences were to gather in those of us who are marginalized in Jewish spaces, which not just Jews of color are marginalized in Jewish spaces. Um, those who are Jewish through adoption, or conversion or um, association sometimes, um, or those who have like a, a Jewish parent, just a Jewish parent, doesn't matter which one, um, or some Jewish heritage and wanting to connect, but being marginalized at the same time. So it was a gathering of the fringes, if you want to put it that way. So after 2011, we um, became a an actual entity because before it's just like completely like using my own bank account doing <laughs> all that stuff. I know we, uh, we've connect, we've connected about, you know, sort of founder, founder, early stage organization building. Yeah. And yes, I'm familiar, I'm familiar too. Um, and, and doing a lot of doing everything you were talking about conference creating and all of that basically as a volunteer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, volunteer for a decade uh, or more. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Um, the the organization itself actually sprung up in 2012 as just a local state entity, not even a 501c3. In 2013, while I was doing uh, some type of seminar, like entrepreneurial seminar in Israel, um, we got our 501c3. Since then, we've been doing consulting mostly in the Jewish communal space 
around anti-oppression, anti-bias, anti-racism, basically trying to combat white supremacy in all its forms inside of Jewish space, which talk about this portion today, just for one second, I usually don't do this, but just to talk about uh, building a Mishkan, I think there has been another, an alternate Mishkan that has been built, right? That maybe looks like it's very safe very secure and the material used has been white supremacy and not the mishkan of the children of avraham Vasara. doing this work has come at uh definitely personal cost career costs or whatever but it, every second has been worth it that's very powerful so the career cost being 10 years of blood sweat tears building and teaching out of your own experience and pain. But here, so here you are, as you said, the executive director of the organization. Um, what are your dreams now? Obviously there, there needs to be more of this, you know, one of the major headwinds about doing this work is um, people have to be open to doing it. Right. They also have to be, in a financial position to do it. I'm just speaking more from the private contractor, like consultant kind of way, because institutions themselves don't make diversity a priority. You can look at a lot of budgets and you'll see tons of money allocated towards certain things, which I'm not gonna knock any specific line item, but then you look at diversity programming or any type of uh, consulting and you get like a day's worth. <laughs> there are 364 other days to consider in a year. Is that um, one of your, is that, is that one loving, but nonetheless direct critiques of, of your work so far in the Jewish community? Yeah. I mean, we could call it critique or I just call it reality. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but also like our philanthropic complex has not, caught up to the reality of the Jewish people. It's it's one of those things where, you know, you see bottlenecks being created where they have certain gatekeepers. They will put a lot of money in there uh, into like one specific person or organization and not consider the whole field, right? I mean, if Jews of color really make up 15 to 20% of the Jewish people, then you're looking at well over a million people well over a million Jews who are not being served, not being uh, appreciated, mm. uh, being thrown away, which is kind of the opposite of, you know, like coming out of Egypt where we left 80% of our people there. <laughs> but in this country, you know, if we're, if we're going to fight anti-Semitism, if we're going to fight racism, we have to first clean house. You know, it's not just about credibility. It's not about politics. It's about being honest with ourselves, you know, and really naming that. But uh, that also means that not everyone who represents the Jewish community is going to be white or passing for white. Not everyone is going to speak the same way. Not everyone is going to be the same way. We have to get out of this uh, supremacist cookie cutter image of what Jewish looks like. Uh, what Jewish professionals look like, what, who the people are who fight for the good of humanity look like. I, I agree. I, 
what, what you said is so powerful. The Ashkenazi experience does not cover everybody's experience. The, um, even like the Chicago experience is different from the LA or New York or New Jersey experience. You know, that there, there really is diversity. It cuts across so many different vectors. The, the wealthy experience is very different from the, uh, the experience of somebody who comes to the Jewish community who can't afford dues or high holiday tickets or, you know, a parking space. Um, and I'm wondering your, your website is a, this beautiful representation of many different kinds of Jewish people. Um, and I'm wondering actually with all of those differences in background that in some way that you are, you know, you're a, a spokesperson on behalf of, do you find that it's actually hard to speak on behalf of, you know, quote, marginalized Jews or Jews of all hues? Because like your experience is actually quite different from somebody who, you know, is, let's say of, of Latinx origin, you know, or of any number of different kinds of, you know, different kinds of backgrounds. Yeah. 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 Um, and I'll say that, uh, the name of the organization actually is more of a call to action than anything else. Even for us internally, there've been many discussions with our board where it just came right down to, well, we have to honor our name, don't we? (laughs) There are like Latinx Jewish organizations out there or projects, but there are, there are definite times when I, I am put in the position to speak for all Jews of color. And I usually push back on that. I speak from my own experience. I happen to have this position, you know, I happen to be very trusted with people's experiences and the lenses that I use and a lot of that comes out of relationships with people who are not like me. Um, I have friends who hate each other, but we have really deep conversations one-on-one. I'll say that one big thread in this work as a person of color is that we don't throw people away when we uh, have a disagreement. Um, You know, supremacist thinking is very much that like, Oh, I don't like what you said. You're not even human anymore. Like everybody comes to this work just as human as the next. Uh, Everybody has different learning points and different ways that they can absorb the information. That's also why we have a multifaceted team. Uh, People who are like multi-generational, like uh, multi-gendered, like just so many intersections. You know, people who are disabled, et cetera. And everybody that works for Jews and all hues uh, also goes through an anti-bias process. So that's, it's a little bit different um, than the, the leaders that I know who say that they always have their stuff together. I'm like, where's the humanity in that? Nobody knows at all. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. Something that we've talked about a lot at Mishkan is, is aspiring, you know, that like, like it would be silly for any of us to talk about having, having done this work, you know, or to, you know, put on our website that we are, you know, like we are proudly anti-racist. Like we, we're aspiring to be all the time. Um, but, um, but we blow it sometimes also. Yeah. Speaking as somebody who blows it sometimes, you know. (laughs) Um, it's, (laughs) it's part of it, right? Like we fall down 
Let me ask you something. When somebody does that in front of you, when somebody, you know, when you, when you have one of those moments um, in Jewish community, in well-meaning Jewish community, you know, when somebody says to you like, oh, like when, so tell me about when you converted, you know, Um, or just like one of those moments that, you know, is like, they're, they're asking a sincere question and it is assuming a whole story that is inaccurate and wrong. Um, What, like, how do you handle, how do you handle that moment? You know, it it really depends on the actual moment. Um, Like I have a whole list in my head of comebacks. (laughs) Like when you said like, when did you convert? My first response nowadays is usually like, if I converted, I, I would be really proud to be Jewish right now. Hmm. Um, and if I went through that process, if I went through the mikveh and all that, like, I would be so proud of myself, you know, and, and so connected, hmm. just as connected as I am right now. But but then in other situations, when people ask me, oh, when did you convert? I'm like, oh, I think it was like 2008 when I went from PC to Mac, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, that that's you know it, it really depends on the moment right the assumption that i must have converted means that all jews are white that's right exactly people also ask me when did you become jewish my usual answer is like when sperm meant egg right like at conception yeah it's something it's something we talk a lot about you know these like moments that um can be really uncomfortable and even offensive and how, you know, we as a community try to create a context in which learning is possible in those moments. But uh, like a lot of that responsibility, I feel like is on like us as leaders to remind people Jews come in all hues, you know, and the second, you know, that there's that sense of like, oh, here's a person who seems different from me. I wonder what their story is, that there's probably a moment of pause that's like, have you told them your name? Like, have I introduced myself to you and told you anything about myself? Like, have I disclosed anything interesting or personal or like, what right have I um, to begin entering into those kinds of questions? But actually like, hi, how are you? My name is Lizzie, Uh, (laughs) you know, Um, um, and to actually form connection. That's just like, hello, human to human. Nice to meet you in this Jewish space. Yeah. And and I will say that, there have been more times in the recent past where somebody has actually assumed that I was Jewish. Right. And just asked me like, what time is Mincha? Right. And that felt really nice and affirming. Uh, And I I remember like when I was in my early twenties, I was actually a member of a synagogue and it all came down to that first person I ran into at the door who just like, welcomed me in, never met me before. You know, it was a really diverse congregation. It was really small. Uh, It was somewhere I felt I could explore more about Judaism. But like, really, they didn't know me from Adam. And just simply like assuming you belong here. (laughs) Like, hello, it's so affirming. Yeah, you're, we have services right now. Right. You must be a person coming to services just like very basic things like, right. hmm. but also, I mean, at that synagogue, there were other black Jews. There were Latinx Jews. There were a bunch of people uh, in this tiny congregation. And, you know, so in part, they had already normalized right. that. 
and they did it in a pretty fast time, honestly, um, faster than it would happen at maybe like a very large place. Indeed. There are more people involved in the Jewish community than uh, just Jews, right? I'm thinking about right. parents who are from other wonderful religious traditions um, or partners, you know, um, or single people who will never have kids or don't have kids currently, don't have partners, whatever, are interested or have friends who are Jewish, or, you know. Um, there's so many different ways to to connect. All right. So I, I told you I would ask you <laughs> a question that like, what's the question that nobody ever asks you, but that you want to answer? Yeah. I feel like we can begin to, we can begin to draw our conversation to a close, but what's like, what's the thing that you want to talk about that nobody ever asked you about? You know, nobody has ever really asked me about being an ABBA. <laughs> like... Let's have it. Yeah. Um, I I just love being someone's Abba. I love like having the opportunity to see this big personality, little person, and having like a life partner who is amazing and loving and warm and knowledgeable. So knowledgeable about like Judaism and, and all. Like she even leads our, our high holy day services. So she leads the Jews in all Hughes high holiday services. Mm-hmm. So that's her brainchild. That's I, I resisted that for years. And why do you do it? Connection, emotional safety. Say more. Well, um, every year I have to leave my phone on for high holy days um, because I have to talk to a lawyer or somebody because a Jew of color has been dragged out of a synagogue or arrested in front of a synagogue uh, just because they walked up wearing a kippah and holding their prayer book or what have you. But just because somebody said, you're brown, you're dangerous, you know, weaponizing their skin tone. When the pandemic hit, it became a perfect storm and a perfect opportunity to connect, not just in Philadelphia, but like across many different borders and make sure that you know, if there was going to be a high holiday service, you know, that people could do it from their home where there's some semblance of safety, not total safety, because as a person of color in this country, like there, at least I'll speak for myself, that like, I don't feel a sense of safety, like physical safety ever. Um, I can't even walk past an open window in my apartment, but there are ways of being emotionally safe. And that also comes with being around people who are like you, right? And people who want to be around people like us, right? And to show the Jewish community that like, yes, Jews of color can lead high holiday services. There are rabbis, cantors, cantoral students, people who are just knowledgeable, who grew up Ashkenazi, Sephardi, Mizrahi, et cetera. Like we're Jews. It was also a chance, I didn't know this at the time, but there were a number of people who had left Jewish communities and saw this as an opportunity to reconnect because they love being Jewish. They just yeah. have, have no tolerance for white supremacist actions inside of Jewish space. And I don't blame them. I mean, the trajectory of the answer to that question, being a father 
being an Ava, you know, and sort of like thinking about what being an example for your little one, you know, also means as you create an example of a space in the world that other people can bring their whole selves to and, and being kind of like an Abba or a, a founder, not just for your own family, but for a whole family of people like your family, the Jewish people, the big diverse Jewish people. Uh, it's very Abrahamic. Of you. <laughs> um, oh, maybe, yeah. maybe, but you know, mm. um, I don't know if I, if I could ever say it's Abrahamic, honestly, because I stand on the shoulders of a lot of people and people who will go completely nameless throughout time in this country and other countries, you know, I mean, my ancestors from the Belshtetl and, and all that, like, who I don't know, all, all, the, all my relatives who died in the Shoah. Or even the African diaspora experience, people who will go nameless, unfortunately, um, but have left something inside of me and inside of so many people to keep going and, and keep striving for justice to really see an end to it. And like your, your, goal, your goal would be that Jews in all hues does not need to exist anymore. Yeah, that, that would be a goal. That, that's a that's a, and that's a high aspiration right now. Yeah, you know, right now it, it's more like we need to ramp up and have more staff, more funding, able to connect people. You know, pr- able to provide more financial assistance to Jews of color and and multi heritage Jews who like are really struggling during this pandemic and and all that. Like there, there's a need for quality people to do this work day in and day out. And not just, not just when somebody who's benefiting from white supremacy thinks, Oh, it's, it's a good idea to start this work, right? This needs to be continuous. It's, it's what I wake up (laughs) to. It's what I go to bed to. It's what I dream about is like doing this work to the point where it doesn't need to be done. I want to thank you so much for coming and sharing about your, your own story. Um, I'm, I'm looking at Felicia's note here. Thank you for this vulnerable and honest conversation. Felicia's crying tears of joy and pain at the same time. I appreciate, I appreciate you coming and sharing here and I look forward to, you know, continuing our friendship and this conversation in ways that are completely not productive and in ways that are very goal oriented toward the end of ending white supremacy in Jewish spaces yes. and at all. Um, <laughs> May it be so. You've been listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan, Chicago. If you enjoyed this sermon and want to join us live, Tune into Shabbat services through Facebook most Fridays of the month and through Zoom two Saturday mornings a month. Our schedule of services and programs can be found at mishkanchicago.org events, where there's also a link to donate and support our work. And you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at mishkanchicago. As always, we want to hear from you. On behalf of Teen Mishkan, thanks for tuning in.